Hello and welcome to the Estate Planners Podcast. My name is Anthony Brinkman and this is the place for will writers, estate planners and solicitors that are interested in learning the tips, tools and technicalities to best help their clients. This is episode three entitled Your Appointment Structure. Being an estate planner or will writer or private client solicitor, the time that you spend with a client is the time when your professionalism really shines. It's the time when your client will see and experience firsthand the quality of service that you can deliver. Unlike the concert pianist that may spend time off stage practicing and doing promotional events and activities, writing new material and many other functions to further their career, It's the time that they're on stage in front of a live audience when their professional skills are tested. As the musician gains traction and fame, they'll have more people around them handling a lot of their non-stage activities. Unlike a practitioner in this industry might work for a larger organisation that handles the functions that a sole practitioner has to do themselves, you will have your own setup in business. Whatever that setup is, fact is that the client appointment is still the pinnacle of the job. All of the functions are for nothing if your appointments are not as successful as they could be. This podcast series is going to concentrate on the appointment probably more than most other functions for that reason. And in these episodes we'll be digging down deep into the details of that appointment. But a good starting point it seems would be to look at the broad overview of the client appointment and its structure, by which I mean the sequence of actions, one following another, that produce the best results possible. If you have a logical structure and you follow it, then that will help you to maintain control and help you to know what's been covered, what remains to be done, and it will help you to introduce each part of the appointment and isolate those parts for yourself for the purpose of practicing and improving. Sticking with our professional musician analogy, the entire performance is practiced in sections. Or maybe it'll be helpful to think of this in terms of some other performance like an athlete or or a stage play. The understanding, the control, the execution of the entire live event is improved by isolating and training in the the muscle memory or the mental memory so that as close to as perfect as possible is achieved when actually on stage or or on the pitch. All right, I think you get the picture there. What I'd suggest is that there are 20 parts to the client appointment. We'll look at those 20 parts in future episodes, but in more broad terms, those 20 parts can actually be seen to fit into five simplified segments. The first is contact. This is the initial parts of the meeting. Those first few seconds, really, when you're greeting your client and the minutes that follow where you're building some rapport with the client and gradually moving over into the more formal part of the meeting where you'll start the fact-finding process. The second element would be qualification. By qualification, I mean establishing what the client is potentially qualified to be presented with as products or services for their personal estate planning. To qualify for something means to become eligible for it. 
for example, the team qualified for the semi-finals. That would mean that they've achieved the relevant criteria. Similarly, you are at this stage trying to establish the criteria that would make the client eligible for different products or services. Essentially, this is, of course, the fact-finding stage. The third segment would be presentation. Once you know what products and services the client is qualified for, then you need to present them. You need to tailor that presentation to the client themselves to make it relevant to them, make it relevant to their circumstances so that they can easily see the benefits of what it is that you're presenting. The fourth part would be closing. It may well be that the client sees sense in the products and services that you presented along with their costs and they immediately go ahead with your advice, in which case there's relatively little to do in this section. But I'm sure you've also been in situations with a client that says no for some reason that you can't really fathom. You know that the solution that you've presented, that you've advised about, is right for them. But there's something irrational about them refusing to go ahead. And in this situation, you'd need to have some skill at establishing the real reasons why somebody might be resisting taking the right course of action for them and for their family and to remedy that. The fifth element would be conclusion. In the final segment of the appointment, you have those actions which conclude the meeting successfully. This would include completing the paperwork, summarising the key points of the meeting, making sure that the client's aware of what happens next and doesn't have any unresolved questions or concerns that might unravel all that you've done so far and just tidies up the meeting, leaving no loose ends. So these five sections are pretty common sense, of course, and you might well think, well, that's all obvious. But consider that first episode of this podcast, The Most Common Mistake, which looked at the error of answering questions and giving advice too early. That is essentially putting the presentation segment ahead of the qualification segment, isn't it? Similarly, you may have had the experience yourself of somebody trying to close you on something before they've properly qualified you or, or presented their products and services. I recall having one salesman come to my business and he was trying to close me on his services far too early. My reason for seeing him, for inviting him to see me, was that I thought he might be able to offer our clients something of value. His service related to business owners that wanted to sell their businesses. And we come across that from time to time. But this chap hadn't understood this because he hadn't properly qualified me. So he'd given a very, very brief presentation of his company service and then just launched straight into trying to sign me up, which I wasn't interested in. I could have put him in front of a lot of people if he'd fully grasped these five segments, but obviously I wasn't going to introduce him to our clients if he was, his meeting was that disjointed. As a side note here, I've spoken to many, many people in this industry and I know that some practitioners feel a little uncomfortable with the idea that they're in any way involved in sales. They consider themselves to be a legal advisor or a professional consultant or estate planning practitioner or whatever title that they choose to use and there's some distaste at the concept of, of selling anything to their clients. I, I do understand that. If you've ever been missold something yourself then you know just how how bad that makes you feel and you understandably don't want to be associated with anything that could cause another person a similar feeling. 
And if you were to look at a lot of sales training or sales books, or if you've ever been on a sales course, then there's something of a trend nowadays towards some quite manipulative sales techniques. So, as this is the first time that I've touched on this topic in this podcast, I want to make my position perfectly clear on the subject of sales. I don't subscribe to any kind of approach that could possibly could be considered manipulative or hidden. I resist any sort of methodology that involves removing the other person's power of choice over their decision making. I'm sure you've come across concepts to do with, for example, what it means if a person looks up to the left or down to the right when they're thinking, and that indicates whether they're lying or remembering or imagining and all this kind of thing. There may well be some truth in this, I don't know, but this is not my experience and it's not my belief. What if the person's distracted by a fly in the corner of the room and you take this to mean that they're not telling the truth and you act on that? You could end up in a heap of trouble. I've heard some so-called sales professionals talking about mirroring the prospect's body language and facial expressions and even phrases that they're saying so that the person subconsciously likes you more. To me, that's both disrespectful and devious. My approach to the subject of sales is to be completely transparent, completely honest with the client. There should be nothing that you're doing that you wouldn't want to explain to the client if they were to ask you about it. I'm certain that we'll cover this subject in some detail in future episodes, but for now I just wanted to ensure that you don't switch off unnecessarily because the word sales has appeared in the podcast. Alright, back to the appointment structure then. Contact, qualification, presentation, closing, conclusion. Contact. Let's have a look at this in a little bit more detail. No matter whether the meeting is taking place at your office or at the client's home or over a virtual platform like Zoom or Teams or GoToMeeting or even by telephone, there will be first impressions formed by the client about you. And I know it's a cliche, but first impressions do last. People make judgments about others remarkably fast, both positive and negative. And you should make your life a little bit easier by just considering things like how you look, how you sound in those first few seconds. It's not difficult to do with modern technology. You can set your phone up to face you, hit record, and then just role play meeting somebody. If you conduct your meetings by Zoom, then record the meeting, play it back with that point in mind. You need only apply some common sense to this. What clothes are you wearing? Are you smiling or not? Are you looking the other person in the eye? Do you look and sound interested? I recall arranging a a Zoom meeting with a financial advisor that I wanted to help to put a death in service benefit proposal together for the staff in my company. Prior to the meeting, I'd asked if I could record it so that I could share what we discussed with the other directors of the company later if necessary and he'd agreed. Very early in the meeting, I found myself switching off and I brought the meeting to an early close. I mean, switching off mentally, you know. I pondered on this. I I, I was thinking about it and I reviewed the video back. This chap was clearly sat in his bedroom. Um, He tried to angle the camera a little bit away from the fact that it was his bedroom, but he he was in his bedroom and he wasn't particularly tidy. He was looking down a lot also, he wasn't looking at the camera, presumably he was looking at some papers on his desk most of the time when he was talking. He was frowning a little bit, certainly wasn't smiling. 
And these things don't necessarily mean that he wasn't going to provide us with good advice or the right product or service that I was looking for. But I quickly had formed this impression that he wasn't really interested enough in helping us or understanding our needs. Taking it a little bit further, he, he was talking about himself first in the meeting. We're sort of bridging over a little bit into qualification here, but the contact part, he was, he was, he was very keen to give us his credentials and his company's credentials and all this kind of thing and didn't really ask much about, about me or what we were looking for. So the point is, don't make your life more difficult than it needs to be. Look at what first impressions you might be creating and see what you can do to improve them. Then we have qualification. Now, episode two of this podcast series deals with the fact find and an overview of the information that you would want to be establishing in this segment of the appointment. So that would be worth review. But I want each episode of this podcast to be able to stand alone. So as a quick recap, what you need to know is who the client is fundamentally, their contact details, brief bit of background about them. You need to know their family structure in some detail, and you need to know what assets make up the client's estate in rather a lot of detail. There are hard facts and soft facts here. Hard facts being definitive, objective answers, such as my house is worth £300,000, or I have two children aged three and seven. Those are hard facts. Soft facts would be more to do with the thoughts or opinions or considerations that the client has, such as, well, I'm thinking about starting my own business, or we're getting concerned that our son might be having some problems with alcohol dependency. These would be soft facts. Both of them are important, hard facts and soft facts, that is. And your understanding of the client's circumstances are essential to being able to present them with the right solutions for their estate planning. Then we have presentation, the third segment. Once you've established what your client is qualified for, you can then present them with the right solutions. To take a couple of obvious examples, if your clients are in their 70s and they've got adult children's children of their own, then they would not be qualified to be presented with information about guardianship. If the clients are concerned about what would happen if they were to lose mental capacity, then they would be qualified to be presented with lasting powers of attorney. So a few tips about your presentation. It should be concise, personalised to the client's situation and needs, and should include the costs of the service. When I say concise, I really do mean concise. Often no more than a brief overview of for example, lasting powers of attorney is all that's needed. I've been on accompanied appointments with consultants where they've presented LPAs and I can see the clients getting on board very quickly with the concept and within the space of a minute or two, they're making very positive gestures that they're interested. But the consultants carried on talking, giving more and more information and starting to actually lose the client's interest and effectively talking themselves out of delivering that service. So keep it brief. What, what you're looking for essentially in the presentation section is just that, interest. If the clients are interested, if the clients are making positive gestures and this, you know, that they're, they're keen, you can see that their interest levels are rising, then you've probably presented enough. When I say that the presentation should be personalised to the client, I mean talking about them. Use their family's names when you're talking about, well, let's stick with the example of LPAs. 
when you're talking about who the attorneys would be, don't talk in the third person, saying things like, when people make LPAs, they will usually appoint trusted family members. That's talking in the third person about others. Speak to them, the person in front of you. When you make LPAs, you'd probably want to appoint Jimmy and Jenny as your attorneys, I guess. We can take a look at that when, you, when we explore your options. You know, you can talk about them, talk about their family, use their examples or their circumstances to tailor your presentation to them, the person sat in front of you. And then the final thing that I mentioned here was don't forget to include the price of the service. Don't shy away from it. Don't leave it until the last minute. The clients need to know what the price is. It's a rather key piece of information for them to be able to make a decision about whether or not they want to use your service. Then we have the fourth part, which is closing. Very briefly then, what is closing? It's the action of getting the client to make a decision to go ahead with the presented solution and taking action on that decision. In other words, making payment or agreeing to your payment terms. As mentioned earlier, a good presentation that ends with your client saying, well, that sounds like exactly what we need, will effectively mean there's no closing to do, there's nothing to do there. But it's in situations where you don't have that definitive decision made, then you need to help your clients to take some action, make some decision. Even if that decision is no, even if it is a definite no, I don't want to go ahead, and they've, they've said why, and they've explained that, and you know maybe you'd want to use a disclaimer or something. If you're advising your client that this is the solution for you, and they refuse that advice, then perhaps you'd want um, a disclaimer or something to say that they have refused to take your advice. But the point is that they need to make a decision. So it's those situations where you don't have that definitive decision made, well, you need to help your clients to take some sort of action to put the will or the LPAs or trusts or whatever it is in place. You're not helping your client if they haven't got those services in place. Their children can't go to the court of protection in the future and say, well, mum doesn't have an LPA, but she did hear a really great presentation about them and understood their importance, so can we just be the attorneys? It doesn't work like that, does it? They need to have the actual services in place for you to have genuinely helped that client. So closing is really about helping the client to remove any incorrect or irrational reasons for not going ahead or to work out how to go ahead if they're struggling to do so. For example, if you've ever had someone that has, well, let's say they've got a decent sized estate, uh, they can therefore afford the services, they don't have LPAs in place already, and they've got a family around them that they agree would be the ones that they would want to make decisions on their behalf if they lost capacity. And yet, they're still saying things like, well, let me think about it. In that situation, you need some ability to help them further. You know it's the right thing to do. We've all heard the horror stories of what happens when you don't have these correct legal documents in place and the horrors that the families have to go through. You know it's the right thing for them to do. If you've got 100 clients that say, let me think about it, and you say, yeah, okay, no problem, you have a think about it, let me know if you want to go ahead, there's going to be, what, one or two of those people that actually get back to you, depending, of course, on how good your presentation is. Whereas, if you can persist a little bit longer, you're going to help more people. As a very brief example of how you would do that, you were to say something like, well, no problem, okay, let's rewind that a little bit. The client has said, let me think about it. So your response might be, 
Okay, no problem. I'm glad you want to give it some thought. That suggests that you're taking this seriously. So let me make sure I'm doing my job properly whilst we're together and let's establish what factors it is that you need to give some thought to. By doing that, you've, you've very politely acknowledged the fact that they want to think about it. You've actually said that's a good thing. You know, you, you, you're, you're validating them for wanting to think about it because they're taking this seriously. That's a good thing. And it gives you the ability to then just proceed a little bit further and genuinely make sure that you're doing your job properly. Is there anything that you have presented that maybe they've not understood correctly? You know, you need to explore those things. That's all that closing is about. And as I mentioned my opinion about sales earlier on, it's very genuine. You know, you, you, you're being honest and transparent with the client and just making sure you've done your job correctly. You're helping them, aren't you? You're on their team. So if you were to then proceed to go through step by step the different features and benefits of the LPAs, then you're likely to get far more than those 100 potentially lost clients. And you can you can help the client to see sense in going ahead. Finally, you've got the conclusion segment of the appointment. Once the client has said that they want to go ahead with the service and they've agreed with the payment terms, you will of course need to take instructions for those services. Once the instructions have been taken, then you're almost certainly gonna have some paperwork to conclude. I'm sure you'll have terms of business letters, data protection agreements, instruction forms to sign, etc. This is all part of that conclusion of the meeting. But an often missed part of the conclusion is summarizing the key facts. It's worth spending five minutes going back over the instructions, literally reading them out to the clients page by page and confirming what services that you're going to be doing for them. Reiterate the price, payment terms, and very importantly, explaining what happens next. How long will it be before they get the drafts? What do they need to do when they get the drafts? What other family members need to be involved in this process and what will they need to do? What happens at the attestation meeting? How long does the LPA registration take, etc.? This might be referred to as managing the expectations of the clients. If they've got any sort of misconception about these things, they can be unnecessarily upset by those misconceptions. They might even want to cancel the service and refund if you cut corners in this final element of the appointment. It just brings the whole thing together, simplifies everything, and helps solidify everything that's been done so far. So there you go, a whistle-stop tour through the client appointment in sequence to help you maintain good control and guide your client logically and successfully through the estate planning process. I should probably point out here that the above may well happen over a couple of meetings. In my experience, the logical cutoff point between two meetings, if you do need to, to uh, split out into two different separate meetings, it would be after the qualification or the fact-finding step and before the presentation. All depends how much time it's taken to get to that point, really, I suppose. Okay, I hope you found that useful. I very briefly mentioned at the beginning uh, of this episode that the appointment can be further broken down into 20 parts and I'm sure there's going to be future episodes where we put the appointment under the microscope even further but this simplified five-part understanding is a good starting point for structuring your appointments. Thank you very much for listening I shall look forward to speaking to you again in the next episode.